Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Tonight on Huckabee, Tennessee Governor Bill Lee, syndicated columnist Ron Hart, viral cooking sensation Brenda Gant, and gospel performance by Fortune, Walker, Rogers, and Isaacs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. What a great crowd. My goodness, it's so much fun to do this show anytime. When we've got an audience like we have here tonight, it just makes it even better. And we're so grateful for them being here. And boy, did they ever pick a good night to be here because the show is phenomenal from start to finish. You do not want to even get up and go anywhere during the show. Sit tight. It's going to be fun. Now, let's turn our attention to what's happening in our wonderful world. You remember when he was inaugurated, Joe Biden said he would unite the country. And by gosh, he's actually done it. Yeah. An ABC News poll this week showed that 84% of the American people believe that he bungled and botched the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan by leaving Americans left there stranded. There isn't a politician alive who wouldn't want to get 84% of a vote or approval. That's not just a slim minority. Man, that's an overwhelming supermajority. Okay, true, 84% thought his plan resulted in a humiliating defeat for America and the abandonment of hundreds of Americans who were left behind and stranded in a country now run by the Taliban, who were the very terrorists that we went to defeat 20 years ago. But Democrats, independents, and Republicans finally agreed on something. They agreed the exit was a train wreck, a dumpster fire, a clown car. Use whatever metaphor you choose. Joe Biden promised to get every American out. He didn't. He claimed to take responsibility, but he didn't. He blamed Trump and pretended that he inherited it all from Trump. Americans aren't that dumb. Biden changed everything Trump left for him. A strong recovering economy, a vaccine for COVID, energy independence, uptick in wages for working class, a return to manufacturing, a stronger NATO and military, a protection for unborn babies, and a secure border. Biden reversed every single one of those things. The decisions that led to a collapse of the Afghan government and American credibility are all his. Women, students, 
Even dogs got left behind to be slaughtered by the Taliban savages. We even left, think about this, we left them $85 billion worth of military hardware, including Black Hawk helicopters, Humvees, night vision goggles, and hundreds of thousands of weapons that you paid for, but that you can't own in the U.S. But the Taliban now owns them. Even prominent journalists stopped covering for Biden. Richard Engel of NBC was outraged by what he saw. When Biden came into office, he knew that the deal was there. He could have started preparing for it then. Then he pushed back the date of the withdrawal and had even more time to prepare for this. I know people were telling him or were telling their superiors through their chain of command that, uh, that, that, that Afghanistan was fragile, that if the U.S. pulled the carpet under uh, the, the Afghan government, under the Afghan security forces, that things would collapse. And that wasn't all. This is CNN's Clarissa Ward. With Taliban fighters beating them, with mothers throwing their babies, trying to get them inside the airport compound. It is just a picture of desperation, of failure as well. Failure to protect our allies, failure to plan for this eventuality. When the left loses NBC and CNN, they've lost their base. But Joe Biden, who looked at his watch during the dignified transfer of the bodies of the 13 brave American military members who died at the Kabul airport, thought he did a wonderful job. I mean, he virtually broke his arm patting himself on the back for the splendid job that he did. Of course, he never took questions from the press. I guess he wasn't instructed to do that by whoever it is who instructs him to do things. No one I know, no one I know wanted to stay in Afghanistan forever, but neither did we want to walk away from our fellow Americans and the brave Afghans who helped serve with us and who we promised we would bring them to America so they wouldn't be hunted and murdered. We broke that promise, and we are already hearing of the systematic executions of women, Afghan military members, and even comedians and singers because music and comedy have been banned by the Taliban. Just as Joe Biden turned his back on the press without taking any questions, so he's turned his back on the American people and retreated back to his safe space. Too bad the 13 military members killed at the Kabul airport are the hundreds of Americans left behind. Too bad they don't have a safe space to retreat to. So after months of the most divided America I've ever seen, Old Joe has brought America together after all. And all but a paltry 16% of us agree that Joe Biden embarrassed the United States, betrayed our citizens and our allies, and left hundreds of Americans stranded behind enemy lines to be slaughtered by the bloodthirsty terrorists of the Taliban. And you wonder, just who are the 16% who think that this has been a splendid operation? My first guest tonight is a seventh-generation Tennessean. He's also the 50th governor of this great state. 
Under Governor Bill Lee's leadership, Tennessee has been named the number one best fiscally managed state in the country. And it's been named as having the best business climate in the United States, number one in the nation for advanced industry job growth, and the best state for small business growth. Pretty good record, wouldn't you say? Would you please welcome to the show someone who knows a thing or two about how to run a government, Governor Thank you, sir. You know, I get the impression that uh, there's about 84% of the people, at least here, who love you and uh, happy to have you here, and we are too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. There has been an unbelievable number of people moving into Tennessee. I mean, this state is on fire with growth economically and otherwise. What is it that you're doing that's causing this state to attract so many people like a magnet? Well, you know, fiscal policy is one thing. We, we're the third lowest tax state per capita in America. We have no income tax in this state, which is an incredibly important thing to folks. So, so we have very low taxes. We have a very friendly business environment that we've created. I'm a business guy, and I know that jobs change lives. Mm-hmm. So when we can create an environment that produces economic uh, prosperity, that's good, and people... People want to come to those kinds of states. There were only seven states in the country that had positive economic returns from April 2020 to April 2021, and Tennessee was one of them. Well, I was looking at some of the companies that have relocated to Tennessee, and and there's a bunch of them. Big names, big, huge multinational corporations. It's high tech. It's medical. This is one of the great medical uh, centers of the world. That's right. And and we've focused really heavily on creating a workforce that's attracted to companies. The first thing I've gone from Korea to California, especially in California, (laughs) uh, recruiting companies, and they want to know, do we have the people here to work? When I came into office, my background is in skilled trades, Mm -hmm. plumbing, pipe fitting, welding, electrical. Uh, We we, we passed the Governor's Investment Vocational Education Act, so we have made a big push in the state to change the way high school looks to give kids that have the gift of connecting their brain to their hands more opportunity. And that, that is... I am so glad that somebody understands that people who work with their hands not only do a noble job and get paid really well for That's it, right. uh, but they do jobs that'll never get outsourced to China. That's right. And I, I worked alongside... Yeah. By the way, in, in Tennessee, we just, uh, I did a ribbon cutting just this week for the, the only manufacturer that is now in America of uh, antibiotics. It's called U.S. Antibiotics, mm. and they're, they're bringing that back to Tennessee. So glad to hear that. China doesn't need to be making our medicine, that's, that's for right. sure. You did not come into politics from a lifelong career of politics. You were in business, very successful at it. You didn't need this job. Why did you leave the comfort of the private sector where you could do what you wanted to do for the scrutiny of public office? Yeah. You know, I, um, I love my life and I love my life in private business. And, but I, I had a, 
I had a tragedy in my life some 20 years ago that changed my perspective on my own life and on what mattered and what didn't matter. And I got very involved in, besides my work, which is incredibly important, I got really involved in nonprofit work around the world with my kids in, in Haiti and Mexico and Africa and the Middle East. But then I also got very involved in nonprofits at home. I mentored kids in the inner city. Hmm. I mentored men coming out of prison for 20 years. I got involved in things that were important to me beyond just work. Uh, that led me to public policy work in government. And I started having interaction with the state and realized that maybe I could take my life experiences and the passions that I have and use them in a, in a bigger way to serve the people of the state. I also want to point out that you're a person who has been unapologetic in the expression of your personal faith. And I think that's so refreshing when a person in public life is not ashamed of being a believer and having an authenticity about faith. Were you ever sort of maybe encouraged, Governor, dial it down a little bit. Don't be so vocal about your faith. Did you ever have people try to tell you that would hurt you politically? Uh, you know, Certainly, there's a lot of opinions about that, but I, my faith in Christ is the most important thing in my life. It, it will never change. And that'll, that'll never change. And that, that belief is what led me to the service that I talked about earlier, the nonprofits and the work. And it led me to believing that as a believer, the highest call in my life is to serve and to, to love your neighbors yourself and serve them accordingly. And, and that was part of, the, part of the calculus that played into my decision to run. How could I, how could I use my life in that way? And, and, and it, if that's the case, then not following that which is true and not being very clear and honest about what motivates you and what is the foundation of your life, uh, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not being honest with anyone, mm. so I don't have any problem talking about it. Well, I appreciate not only what you've done as a governor, uh, an absolute exemplary service to the country, really, and it, it, it's, it, it's a template that other governors, I think, can follow to how you've led this state, but I just appreciate the personal life of Bill Lee. Thank you. The authenticity, the, the fact that you're the same as a governor that you were in business and that shows and people see it, they respect it. Even the ones that disagree with you, that they respect that. And I want you to know how grateful we are to have you here thank you, and to sir. have you the governor of the state where our show broadcasts every week. Thank you, governor, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I want you to be sure to keep up with the governor on social media. You can do that on Twitter at Governor Bill Lee. And also, Keith Bilbrey, I can tell you, he doesn't know how to run a government, but he knows how to run a show. So I'm going to have him tell you what's coming up after the break. Well, coming up, political humorist Ron Hart. Later, social media cooking sensation Brenda Gant. You're watching Huckabee. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter.
Welcome back. Ron Hart is a syndicated columnist whose writings you can find in newspapers all over America, as well as online at The Daily Caller. He says that after this past week's disastrous pullout from Afghanistan, at least we can rest easy knowing the Taliban now have the United States military's diversity training and critical race theory materials that we left behind. And you know they're going to follow them. They also have our black cock helicopters, but more importantly, they've got many copies of White Fragility. Would you please welcome back to the show one of our very favorites, columnist Ron Hart. Ron, it's great having you back. You've been kind of fired up because I read your stuff all the time and love it. Uh, got any opinions on Afghanistan this week much? <laughs> thought it went well. I, mean, I thought it went well. I mean, yeah, it, was, it was a mess. The good news is, actually, uh, they're getting Americans out of there pretty easily right now. It's 2000 bucks they're charging them to fly out of Afghanistan. 3000 if you want to be inside the plane. So, <laughs> make it a big... But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Schumer and uh, Pelosi, have, you know, they was embarrassed at first about Biden being in Delaware during this thing. You know, the GOP was mad he's in Delaware. The, the Democrats were mad that he would vacation in Delaware. I can't believe that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they uh, they're mad at him that way. So, but Pelosi and Schumer have also assured all Americans trapped in Afghanistan that they will get a mail-in ballot by by November. <laughs> so that. It's you know, that one is too true to be funny. <laughs> it may be true. It may be a joke. I'm not sure. It, it has been a tough week. I, I think humor is about the only way that we can kind of cope with some of the things that we've seen because yeah. it's, been, it's been hurtful as yeah. an American to see this stuff. It's terribly embarrassing. The Taliban pulls into Kabul. You know, they're, they're going, eating ice cream. They're playing bumper cars. <laughs> Uh, they got a better work balance, you know, relationship than I have. I mean, they're just enjoying themselves there. It's just embarrassing. They did the fake Iwo Jima flag. Yeah. They're, they're in their face in a, in a tremendous way. But, you know, it's got to be scary. you got a regime that makes women cover their face. Kids can't go to school. They stifle free speech. And that's just the Biden administration. That's the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> the Taliban's even worse than told. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know... We, we, we talked about earlier in my monologue that, uh, you know, they've already killed a comedian and a singer because they banned both comedy and, and music. Ron, if you were there, you wouldn't have a shot. Man. I, know. I mean, <laughs> just telling you. Started out, I have a shot here in America. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, but I, you have to respect the Taliban. They, they, they fought back. They've been invited to play in the SEC. <laughs> they, beat, they beat Great Britain, you know, in a, in a war. They beat Russia. Yeah. And they beat us. So the SEC invited me in just on strength of schedule. <laughs> We're pretty strong. But, uh, Speaking of SEC, I mean, football is kind of back this fall for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah, I love football. I'm glad it's here. It'll be a welcome relief to what's going on. Are, are we going to see a return to free speech in this country? I was very proud of all people. Bill Maher, yeah. a, a very liberal uh, comedian, but he took on the left in a way that I've not seen anyone else do it. Sure and was very bold in expressing the fact that if, if we cannot accept the exceptionalism of America and how good a country we are, right. there's something really wrong with us. It's good to see it. He does it every now and then. You have to hand it to Bill Maher. He does it on, on occasion. And that was a, he's also scared of the cancel culture for what he does. Sure. But 
He's a committed leftist, but he understands the value of free speech. There was a time the left wing of the party really valued free speech. You know, that was a big part of what they did. Yeah. Now they, they crush it on campus. I think like 40% of students believe free speech uh, should not be allowed, and the other, you know, 55% think, think the government should pay for it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a crazy world in which we live in. Colleges today are crazy. It's not, not the place you and I used to know. Well, when you and I were in college, uh, the campuses were the place where people pushed for, demanded free speech, and if they did anything, it would be to take over the president's office so that they could have more free expression. Right. I, I'm just stunned. Where did this whole cancel culture and stifle people's opinions you don't agree with. Yeah. How'd that happen to us? Well, it's, a, it's a communist uh, tenant of the Communist Party. You, you stifle any form of free speech that's against what you believe. And the fact that the, the Taliban killed a comedian, comedy is the most powerful way to make them act right. If you make mm. fun of them, and they hate it, by the way. That, yeah. I, mean, I get email. So, and no one does it from the right, hardly. I, and I, I'm... For, fortunately, what I do, there's very few people in my space because most of your comedians, most of your late-night comedians are way left. The writers are McCarthy-era leftists that were you know, yeah. part of the communist line. All the writers in New York are left-wing liberals, right? So every joke for the last eight, you know, four years, Clinton, I mean, uh, Trump is fat, Trump is orange. No humor, it's gone. Yeah. The biggest, biggest uh, I guess, casualty of the Trump administration, I think, is humor because there's, there's no one really funny anymore. And the right-wing humor is really, you got Biden, who's a buffoon, you know, and you got, you got so many things to make fun of from the right looking at the left. If you're willing to do it, and your house is paid for, you don't need a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's a you good can, point to make. You, you know, I, I think the biggest frustration, though, is that uh, we're living in a time when the left-wing comics, it used to be the comics were, were funny. You could watch late night, they could make fun of everybody. These guys aren't funny. They're right. angry, and they're mad, and they're, they're vicious. And if it was funny, I could... I yeah. can go with some of that. There's some funny stuff that used to say, you know, that Carson Leno was balanced, I he was think, very to some, much. some degree. Yeah. And these, these late night people right now, they're just angry and they're not funny. And they they just, I don't know what, it's just vitriol all night long. It's not even, it's not even good. And they don't make fun of Biden either. No. I mean, he's just a perfect candidate for, uh, <laughs> to make fun of and they just don't touch him. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're willing to, and we're always happy to have you here and yeah. uh, hope to see you regularly. And for the record, my death next week is not an accident. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. We will report it that way. You can find Ron's columns online at dailycaller.com. You can follow Ron on social media at Ronald Hart. And you can also find Keith Bilbrey over at his post waiting to tell you all the great things we got coming up on the show. So go ahead, Keith. Why don't you tell us? Well, next, hit filmmakers the Kendrick Brothers. And later, a little taste of Southern with cooking star Brenda Gant. Stay with Huckabee. Well, this last week, powerful storms have demolished countless communities throughout the United States. People have lost homes, memories, and loved ones. And amidst these difficult times, Samaritan's Purse is on the front lines to bring hope and healing to the hopeless and hurt. I'm so grateful that they don't shy away from any challenge. And I'm also grateful to generous people like you, because it's folks like you who help them do God's work. I hope you'll consider giving to Samaritan's Purse. You can call them or go to their website. I urge you to do it right now. Thank you and God bless you for helping your friends and neighbors. 
If you want to see an inspiring film these days, skip Hollywood and look to Albany, Georgia, of all places, because that's where the Kendrick brothers have created such great movie hits as Facing the Giants, War Room, Fireproof, Overcomer, and now their very first documentary called Show Me the Father. Please welcome producers and directors Alex and Stephen Kendrick. <laughs> welcome back. You know, I have so admired what you guys did. You were at a church in Albany, Georgia. It's not exactly Hollywood Junior. <laughs> it's right. Not. That's right. You had a vision several years ago, 20 years ago, yeah. that you were going to start making films, uh, not just for Christian audiences, but for audiences with a Christian message, which nobody in Hollywood would care anything about. Where did that spark come from? You know, we grew up uh, being creative, uh, making silly movies when we were young, had parents that prayed for us and they gave us a video camera. And uh, as we got older, we editing between the VCR and the camcorder, kind of developed a knack for it. We did all of our class projects on videos if we could. Right. I remember in science class or health class doing the better take a shower body odor hour, just <laughs> silly stuff. But you know, uh, the Lord did get a hold of our hearts and we wanted to tell stories that mattered yeah. where when you left the theater, uh, you would be changed, inspired, or desire a closer walk with God. You know, I've loved the storytelling because the movies have uh, scripts that really have depth and character development, the things that, you know, it, it's better than a, just a, having a bunch of car wrecks and blow up scenes of stuff. Uh, where did that gift come from, the storytelling gift? Because that's a gift. Sure. Well, I, I think God gave it to specifically Alex as the director. He's got a uh, film projector screen on the inside <laughs> of his forehead, and he prays often for the Lord to give him these inspirational storyline ideas. And so we don't want a meal to just be delicious. We want it to be nutritious. And so I think a movie could be very entertaining and enjoyable for your whole family to watch. But you should be able to walk away not saying, I want my two hours back and I want my 20 bucks back, you know. Yeah. We should feel like that we're a better person in life, has a more hopeful future as a result of seeing a film. So, What a novel idea. It, it, it's like movies used to be. I want to show a clip, because this is a totally new venture for you. Typically, you've been doing uh, fiction, but uh, this is something new, a documentary called Show Me the Father, and we're going to show the audience the trailer for the film, and we'll talk about it. All of us have a fatherhood story. My dad was my hero growing up. My father was somebody who disappointed you. I mean, it was like the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. I'm stunned. Uh, that's dessert. It's really out there. In the Bible, the blessing is everything. You are a beloved son. You're pushing all the buttons that men want to hear their dad say. You are unconditionally loved. Haven't I been a good father? I need somebody to show me. Show me the father. Hmm. It's coming up in about a week. It's going to open all over the country. What's different about this film, and why do you feel like that it's so important, Alex, that people see it. Well, when you get to know God, not just as God, but know that he is Father, Jesus referred to him as Father. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we refer to him as Father. So that is a position. He's not just a God way out there. He's a Father that wants to be intimate and here in a relationship with all of us. All of us have father stories. Either you tear up because your dad meant so much to you, or you tear up because you were hurt by him. And so we have five powerful stories in this movie, Show Me the Father, all of them true, some of them with stunning twists. Mm -hmm. And at the end, you're going to look at 
your own dad differently from a biblical perspective, and then you're going to look at our perfect heavenly father in a new light. And Stephen, you know, when uh, I heard a guy say one time that he was preaching a message to a bunch of guys who had been in trouble as juveniles, and he talked about God wants to be your father, and there was absolutely no response. And as he talked to them, he realized that to say about your father, that meant somebody who abandoned me. Right. Somebody, if I knew him at all, even knew who he was, he beat the daylights out of me. And to say God wants to be your father, it's like, don't, I don't want that. I, I mean, how do you overcome that imagery when people think that's really negative? Uh, God is a perfect father. The word perfect is connected to the fatherhood of God consistently in Scripture. Jesus said in the first sermon, in the first gospel, that he is perfect. <clears throat> but Scripture is very clear that human fathers are broken. Hmm. And so they're misrepresenting God when they do that because the seven roles that dads are supposed to play mirror the seven roles that God plays in our lives. And Jesus said that through a relationship with him, God can step in and fill that void. So we've had people see Show Me the Father at some of the test screenings. They said, I'm bitter with my dad. I'm disconnected with my dad. Uh, there was a guy in ministry. He said, it's been 23 years since I've even seen my father. Hmm. After watching the movie, they, they were realizing more and more, God is not like my earthly father. Yeah. <laughs> I can forgive my earthly father, let him off the hook, and I can get in my relationship with God something that my earthly father could never give me. And so that is our hope that people experience that from watching this film. Well, I hope they do, and I hope people across the country will see it. You know, people have not been going to movies over the last year or so because of COVID. Uh, do you have to go to a theater to see the movie? Is that the only way to see it right now? So on September 10th, it comes out in a 1,000 theaters. You can go to showmethefathermovie.com, okay. find a theater near you. And uh, two, actually, two weeks later, we're re-releasing Courageous, a special edition with new scenes in it. Hmm. And then uh, in, a, in a couple of months, you'll be able to stream both movies, Show Me the Father and Courageous Legacy. But we, again, this fatherhood uh, uh, topic is near and dear to our hearts. We want people to know that, um, that whatever concept your dad gave you of God, God's perfect. You yeah. know, if, you're, if your dad was loving to you, you imagine God to be loving. If he was distant from you, you imagine God, God to be distant. But God is a perfect heavenly father. He wants a relationship with all of us. Well, I hope that uh, people will use this the occasion to go back to the big screen because there's something about seeing it in the theater yeah. just makes it more powerful. Alex and Stephen, I always love what you do. I'm so very just uh, amazed by your vision and the character to carry it out, because a lot of people have visions, but they never do it. You've done it, you keep doing it, and you bless the country because of it. Thank you both. And I want to say to you real quick, doesn't he look good with a beard? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the club. I just want to be like the Kendrick Brothers, man. That's what it is. Hey, you can learn more about the Kendrick Brothers upcoming documentary at showmethefathermovie.com and find out about all their other projects on their website, kendrickbrothers.com. Keith, I don't know what you've got cooked up over there. Maybe popcorn. Heck, I don't know. Tell us about it. Oh, it's a lot better than popcorn. We'll have cooking star Brenda again next. Plus, local group Fortune, Walker, Rogers, and Isaac. More Huckabee is on the way.
Welcome back. I'll tell you what, we're cooking up some stuff over here at the show. I tell you, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, they've been cooking up some great music tonight. We love hearing them. Big hand for them. Last year, Brenda Gant posted a video on her Facebook page on how to make old-fashioned biscuits. You know, the kind like your mama and your grandma made. Well, that video went viral, and it changed her life. Two and a half million Facebook followers now love her scrumptious southern recipes as well as her country wisdom. And we love it here on this show. I want you to welcome back to Huckabee a very favorite of ours, a favorite chef and grandmother. Would you welcome Brenda Gant? Welcome back. I, I, I am tickled to be here. And listen, y'all really look great out there. I give you a hand. <laughs> we have so much fun when you're here. We absolutely love it. What are we going to make tonight? Uh, well, y'all, you know, I told you about the biscuit recipe. Mm -hmm. well, all you do, yeah, y'all have already mastered that. I know you have. So all you've got to do now is take that biscuit dough, okay, uh, th this leftover, and you add just a little bit more and flour and put a little plain flour. So there's you a okay. There's piece my of biscuit, dough, and here's mine. Now these right. are leftover. So you take this, and I've worked it a little bit. If it feels sticky, then you add a little more flour. So get you a little flour and put it on your on your board. Okay. Got a flour, that's that surface got real a good flour, right that's there. Okay. Absolutely. And then you get your rolling pin, and yep. you always start from the middle and roll out, and then go the other way. You're doing good. <laughs> Y'all, he's got the cutest little test kitchen back there in the back. And I, <laughs> I, listen, and I went ahead and made up pies, and all the band... <laughs> Kept coming, but they kept coming back there. So we smelled something. They <laughs> thought it was it would help them musically if they ate yeah. some of these right, wonderful so, and, pies. And you do not have to have this in a perfect circle. Just How is mine? Do it. It looks great, think? better than mine. There you go. Oh, I don't right, know about so, that. Okay. And all I did was I took some um, apple pie filling and chopped it up small. And peach pie filling does good too. Hmm. But during the fall, when Granny Smith apples come in, you could. Really put some Granny Smith, that'd be good. Put about a tablespoon right in okay. the middle. All right, let's see if I can do that. You can do that. <laughs> I bet I can. I might want to put a little extra in mine, you know. <laughs> that looks about right. Y'all, I wouldn't tell on him, but he's already eaten one at the back, the back, the back, the back. <laughs> you didn't have to tell him that. Brenda, he, I he had couldn't, to... He couldn't stand it. He just came up the stairs in the little kitchen where we were practicing, yeah. and he, he stole one out of the bun of Well, I wanted to All make right. sure that they were going to look good and taste good. That's I needed right. to check okay. it out. Then you take you some water, and your water works like a glue. And you take your fingers and dip them in the water, and you, you water one side of it. And hmm. you paint that on really good with your fingers like that. See, I never knew that part of the yeah. fried pie that, deal. That way, when you put it in your grease, uh, it doesn't pop open and your filling comes ah. out. So that's what you do. So it really turns into like a glue, uh -huh. just yeah. that one that's side right, right I'm there. I'm going to move this where they can see what you're doing. Okay. okay they then, may not want to see what I'm doing. Then you take the other side and pull it up over your pie. Okay. And put your fingers in here then and get some flour on them so they won't stick and pat that down all the way around. Okay. Y'all, he's doing good. <laughs>
All right. Then uh, you take your just a regular knife, okay. and you're going to make it pretty. Now, you want to cut some of the excess off, but don't cut up too close to your pie. And just right. go around and cut that off like that. Don't want to get into the filling. You're doing good. Sure. You're doing okay. good. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Now you take your fork. What are they laughing at? Uh, who knows? <laughs> take your fork and put it in here. Like that. Okay. Uh, and that, that way you get, your fork's got some flour, and you go around and you press the two sides together with your fork. I remember my mama doing this when I was a little boy. Pressing that stuff in and the there fork. And there you go. There's your fried pie. And you and we deep fat fry ours in Andalusia, Alabama. And I've got a black skillet about that deep. And put my oil in it. You gently put it down in there. And how, you've got how, how hot is the grease, Brenda? All right. The, the, the grease is medium hot. And when you look sideways on grease like that, you can see it rolling. And that's how you know it's I thought ready. you were going to give me a temperature. <laughs> this this is like I don't uh, use recipes and I don't use temperatures. You just got it. You know what? That's pretty smart because that way you got to watch your videos and get your cookbook, or you won't know how to do this cool Th that's stuff. That's true. But how really, this looks better than mine. Well, maybe it's because I've made about two thousand of them. <laughs> I mean, mine looks like something that fell off the truck. And well, you know like what? But it's gonna be just as good as this. And so y'all. Listen, if you learn how to do this, uh, you also can roll these things out and cut them in strips, and they're called fried dumplings, and they ah. are really good, and y'all try that. And you put cinnamon sugar on them, they're delicious. And um, you people that are spending all that money buying Hot Pockets, you make your own. There you go. You know, get you some hamburger meat and some cheese and whatever, and then you got it. And anyway, we made these. I just want y'all to see how pretty they are. They are. They look great. Mmm. I'm going to take one over to Trey because I know he would love to have it. Well, he, he actually came back there one one. I bet he I probably him, I said, did. You can't have it. That's for the show. I might even get Keith one later, but not right now. Oh, goodness. But anyway, um, one, one time in October, uh, my children went out trick-or-treating. Uh -huh. We went to an elderly lady's house. We're out in the country, y'all. I live in the country. <laughs> Okay, and she opened the door and she said, and they were dressed up, so it's Halloween. <laughs> and, uh, and we said, trick or treat. She said, I don't have any candy, but I'm having company tomorrow. I'm in there frying pies. And you know my children still remember Wow. that lady giving them a fried pie. I believe that. So it's crazy. I remember you giving me one. I think we ought to try one, don't you, Brenda? Just, just open it up, let them see inside. Oh, okay. There open you go. Open it up. Oh, yeah, look at that. Look That's at that good. fried pie. Now, we're not going to just look at it, are we? No, let's divide it. I'll okay, take you have the big piece. <laughs> she grabbed the big piece. Mm. Mm. That's delicious. It is delicious. For, and I always say, it's yep. going to be good, y'all. It is going to be good, y'all. <laughs> For a lot more great recipes, follow Cooking with Brenda Gant on Facebook and Instagram. I watch her all the time. I really do. It's going to be good, y'all. <laughs> yeah. You know what else is good? I'll tell you what we have coming up next.
Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you about it while I finish off this pie. Not until I get a fried pie. No, country and gospel legends Fortune, Walker, Rogers, and Isaacs are next. You don't want to miss it on Huckabee. next week to honor our first responders and soldiers. And welcome back. Can I give you a little tip? If you're doing uh, something cooking involving white flour, don't wear dark suits. It's probably not the best <laughs> idea. Ah. Hey, four of the most incredible music talents in Nashville have joined forces. They've released an album that represents their amazing musical chemistry. Jimmy Fortune of the Statler Brothers, Bradley Walker, a Dove Award-winning artist, Mike Rogers, a highly respected bluegrass musician, and Ben Isaacs of the Grammy-nominated group The Isaacs have released their latest project. It's called Brotherly Love. Would you please welcome Fortune, Walker, Rogers, and Isaacs. Good to be with you, Gov. Oh, man, I'm so excited to have you guys. You know, I said before the show, I said, this is like getting Willie and Waylon and John <laughs> Cash and Chris Christopherson together. All of you major players in the music business, whose idea was it to put together this band? Everybody's pointing at you, Ben. Ben's idea to put this together. Yeah. But what, what led you to think this ought to work? Well, we, we were working, it actually started, we, Mike and I and a buddy of ours, Josh Swift, plays downtown, and we play places around, like Station Inn, and it started by the Gaither people coming and watching us and saying, hey, this is really cool, could we build on it? Hmm. And these two guys were the first that I thought of to make a complete, because people don't realize what a great bass singer Bradley oh, Walker man, is. Best, I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's so yeah. good. Thank you. Well, you all knew each other. Yeah. You yeah. all were good friends. Yeah. And somehow it still worked in spite of all that. <laughs> well, I've been, I've produced Jimmy's records. I've produced Bradley's records. And I've sang backgrounds on lots of records with Mike. So I knew their talent and I knew the what it could be in my mind. And I'm just so grateful that people saw our vision. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the whole idea of brotherly love, yeah. title of the album, I mean, I guess that's kind of what you call yourselves, brotherly love? or We, we call it the brotherly love project because when we started yeah. it, uh, you know, we, we kind of felt, well, for a while, how the world is just going in a certain direction that, and we just thought brotherly love, you know, I mean, it was such a great song on the record. Why don't we try to spread some brotherly love in this world? Because we sure need it. You know? We need it for yeah. sure. Yeah. Mike, one of the things that I said when I was watching you guys rehearse, it was very obvious that you're still having fun yeah. and that you love what you do. There was a genuine sense of excitement, even in the rehearsal, that was very evident. Uh, you know, that to me is part of what makes this all work. Well, we, we love each other. We're best yeah. friends, all yeah. of us. Huh. And then the music, you know, when we sing together, there's such a blend and it's just... It's, it's real. We, it's, we love the music, but I'll, I'll say between all of us, the, our most important talent is, is God gave us the talent of loving people. Mm. Yeah. And we love people, and we try to put it in our music, and we, we try to make, you know, a, a message in the music to, to the people. And we hope that people get that message. It's a message of love and hope and, and uh, just listening to 
four voices that we feel like really God had put us together. You know, we feel like it's a God thing. Bradley, do you really like these guys? Are you sure? (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) I just feel so blessed and honored to be a part of this group. I mean, it, you know, Ben called me, uh, probably what, two years ago and said, Hey, what would you think about, uh, me, you and Mike and Jimmy doing a quartet thing. And mm-hmm. you know, I live down in Alabama, about a hundred miles south of here. So I'm not in town all the time and not as much in the business, so to say, as they are. So I just thought, man, how awesome, what a blessing for them to, of all people that they would call me and want me to be a part of this. And as you and I talked earlier today, you know, you never know when you put four voices together, you may know what each other can do individually, but sometimes it doesn't work. But man, when we got together the first time and just started singing songs, the very first time we ever sang together, just messing around, we sang for two hours. Mm. Just, wow. And I think that was just kind of a, an indication to us that number one, it works vocally and, and we have so much fun being together. It's That's just right. a huge blessing. Ben, really uh, you guys, the Isaacs, uh, have a big thing coming up. September the 14th, the Isaacs are going to be inducted into the Grand Old Opry. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. So for you, the hits just keep on coming, don't it's, they? You know, our, our family has been, uh, it, it's, it's been an incredible God year for our family. Um, things that as a family group that primarily sings Christian music to be given that opportunity. You know, it just goes to show you how big God is. And if you have a dream, hang on to it. You know, when I talk to people about any of you individually, I honestly have never met anyone who doesn't love you, not just for your music, but they love you for who you are and just for your, just being great people to hang out with and and loving the fans and never being pretentious And always appreciating the people who buy the records and who applaud and who come to the shows. I'm still one of those people. You know, I'm I'm as big a fan (laughs) as anything. You know, really, I mean, I'm a fan of great, great music. And I grew up, I think we all grew up going to concerts and just just loving music. Mm -hmm. It's it's who we are. You know, it's more than what we do. It's it's who we are. And so I I just feel blessed. And I think we all feel blessed that people want to hear us and that people would spend their hard-earned money to come come to a show and hear us or buy our records. And so um, we well, will can, always be thankful for that. Bradley, I guarantee you, this crowd here, they want to hear you <laughs> And you can get your copy of Brotherly Love anywhere music is sold. And you're going to get just a little taste of this fantastic new album right after the break. Buckle your seatbelts, get ready. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Here to perform with Trey Corley in the Music City Connection is Fortune, Walker, Rogers, and Isaacs. Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness is black as the sea 
And my heart felt alone And I cried, oh Lord, don't hide Your face from me Thank you. 